Chapter 9, The Science Behind the Ritual. Biology scales, but personality doesn't. Stephen Cutler, author of Stealing Fire. In the last chapter, I went through the steps of the ritual. Now I'm going to go through the steps of the ritual again, but this time I'm going to methodically explain the science behind it. If you're not a science person, feel free to skip to the end of this chapter. But if you're a skeptic, a biohacker, or as obsessed with high performance as I am, the rest of this chapter is designed for you. One of the books that opened my eyes to the science behind the ritual was Stealing Fire by Stephen Cutler. The book talks about all the research that has been done and still being done about how humans have been obsessed with stealing fire, aka high performance or flow state, ever since civilization began. In Greek mythology, Prometheus stole fire from the gods in order to give humans a chance to tap into godlike powers. In today's world, high achievers are constantly looking for the latest hack and chase that fire to give them the edge they need to reach their ultimate potential. Stephen, Cutler Stephen Cutler's research is based on the science to achieve flow state. When I, met him, he, when I met him, he said a phrase that made everything click for me. Personality doesn't scale. Biology scales. It made perfect sense. My ritual works because every person who does it brings his own past experiences to it. But the work that the human brain is doing is the same for everyone. The ritual is a form of active meditation. The goal of my ritual is to train your brain to make it easier to achieve a state of flow. The flow state has several names, including being in the zone, the deep now, hyperfocus. During flow, the inner critic shuts down. Your sense of self disappears. Your dorsolateral prefrontal cortex, the part of your brain that includes your self-consciousness and tracks your sense of linear time, goes dark. The voice in your head that frets and doubts and about making wrong choices shuts down. Your brain makes gamma waves which connects ideas and experiences into the brain that wouldn't otherwise be connected, which unlocks creativity. Your reaction time quickens. Your capacity to endure pain shoots up. This is that elusive state where you perform at your best. This is the flow state. When you're in flow, your brain is flooded with big five chemicals. Here are what they are. Dopamine, called the feel-good reward chemical, it increases attention and the ability to process information and pattern recognition. Norepinephrine, also a feel-good chemical. This one increases your heart rate and activates other fight-or-flight mechanisms. It increases arousal and alertness to promote vigilance, enhances information and retrieval of memory. Is your brain on speed? When dopamine and norepinephrine are combined, your ability to concentrate and focus is both enhanced and rewarded. Endorphins. These chemicals are associated with the runner's high because they're released during heavy physical activity. Endorphins lower the intensity of pain and discomfort. If you ever wonder how fighters can still stand after being kicked with the same force of a car going 35 miles per hour, you could thank endorphins which can be 100 times more powerful than morphine. Anandamide, sometimes called the bliss molecule. Anandamide is a neurotransmitter that operates of the endocannabinoid system of the brain. It inhibits fear, elevates mood, reduces pain, aids respiration, and improves lateral thinking. As the name implies, as well as it may sound, the endocannabinoid system is a specific adaptation for the human body to interact with the THC in cannabis, which induces a sense of euphoria. The stereotype of a pot smoker noticing a carpet for the first time is a lateral thinking in action. When in flow, your brain produces this bliss molecule in its own. 
Serotonin. This regulates mood and gives you a feeling of peace and tranquility. Low levels of serotonin associated with depression, so the more the better. Wow, your brain can do all this in flow state without using dangerous drugs. It's no wonder the flow state is considered the most addictive state your brain can be on. Surfers and other stream athletes achieve the state of flow, which is why they're constantly doing it spite or because of the danger. Fortunately for you, when you do the ritual, there is no risk of being eaten by a shark. The more you tap into flow state, the easier it is to do it. The brain is much like your muscles. Benefits from exercise. Doing the ritual is the best way I've found to prime your mind to enter flow state. The best time to do the ritual is first thing in the morning. It's important to create a habit. If you can make doing the ritual part of your morning routine and put it ahead of your shower and coffee, you're already making it a choice to do the hard work necessary to be successful rather than hit the snooze alarm for other 10 minutes. Sleep inertia is a real thing. It is about 30 minutes to switch from your relaxed sleeping state to an alert state. In the 30-minute interim, you're often groggy. You're more prone to making mistakes, even doing simple tasks. Even if you feel wide awake, you could slip into a groggy state for a minute or so as your brain wakes up. This is fine if you're just making coffee and toast, but it's very bad if you're operating heavy machinery. When you are in between state, it's the ideal time to do the ritual. As you go about your day, your brain will be working at its full capacity to make billions of connections and calculations. Morning is the time to take advantage of your mind being quiet. Also, if you allocate time before you start your day, you're less likely to be interrupted or have an excuse of being too busy. If you can invest 15 to 30 minutes to prime yourself to tap into flow state, your mind is going to be in a reactive mode throughout the day. The simple act of being out of bed and exposing yourself to sunlight affects your circadian rhythm and alerts your body and it's time to wake up. Doing the ritual is one of the best ways to wake up in the mornings. You'll start groggy and you halfway sleep through the first part, but by the end, you'll be refreshed and ready to go. You may even want to skip coffee that day. Let's talk about breathing. Because there's approximately 50% more resistance to the airstream with nasal breathing compared to chest breathing. There's a 10 to 20% more oxygen uptake. The nose filters, the nose filter out several germs, pollens, and bacteria in the air and produces nitro oxide, which keeps your lungs healthy. Nitric oxide also reduces anxiety. If you exhale through your nose, the air you breathe out will warm your nose and keep it from getting stuffy. Nasal breathing more effectively delivers air to your lower lungs, which activates your parasympathetic nervous system, the rest and digest system. When you're doing yoic breathing properly, when you exhale, you'll be pushing gently from the area behind your jaw. Your breath will sound like the ocean or a Darth Vader-like hum. Be sure your belly is expanding when you inhale and tightening when you exhale. This will pull down on the lungs and create a negative pressure on your chest. This will pull down on your lungs and create a negative pressure on your chest, which will fill up your lungs more efficiently. Step one, gratitude. A gratitude mindset could change your mind, literally. When done consistently, gratitude exercises produce long-lasting changes in your brain. When you reflect on the positive things in your life, your brain releases dopamine and serotonin. Thinking about the things that make you feel grateful increases neural sensitivity in the medial prefrontal cortex, the area of the brain associated with learning and decision-making. People who practice gratitude have reduced daily feelings of anxiety. When you're sleeping, your brain produces delta waves. When they get up, most people go from delta to beta state. Beta waves are the analytic part of your brain that focuses on all the things that you need to do, like emails, phone calls, and your busy schedule. 
There is an in-between stage called alpha state, which most people have a hard time accessing. By tapping into gratitude, it brings your brain into an alpha state, which is the relaxed alertness state. Alpha waves increase neuroplasticity and creativity and are associated with feelings of calmness. When you're in the alpha state, you have a lot less stress and you're more present to the opportunities that you have in front of you. In our hectic world, we're too often stuck in the better state. By tapping into gratitude, you're training your brain to access the alpha state throughout the day. In a 2006 study in the Journal of Behavior, Research, and Therapy, they found that Vietnam War veterans with high levels of gratitude were more resilient and less impacted by post-traumatic stress disorder. Emotional resilience is the ability to endure hardship and keep pushing forward. You might also call it grit. Neuroscientists have discovered that focusing on gratitude sends a signal to your brain that enhances the feeling of courage. When you train your brain to focus on gratitude, you begin to be fearless. This doesn't mean that you're not going to be afraid, but you're going to feel doubt, failure, and judgment less harshly. You're training your brain to create a biological change in your body to have the emotional intelligence to overcome obstacles. The heart breathing technique doesn't mean breathing into your chest. It means visualizing your heart and imagining your breath filling in with air. Focus your attention in your heartbeat. Breathe in f- focus your attention in your heartbeat. Breathe in about five to six seconds and then breathe out for the same amount of time. Imagine your heart absorbing light and growing brighter and brighter with all the gratitude inside of you. As you inhale, think of all the joy, pride, and love in your life and let it fill you up. As you exhale, think of all the ways you will spread that joy, pride, and happiness to others. Step two, power statements. Neurolinguistic programming, NLP, is a term that is shorthanded for using specific words to program your own mind to focus on the beliefs that will get you the results that you want. How you phrase things can contextualize things in a way that could be favorable or negative to the results you want. If you want to convince your mind, you need to use certain words that will trigger your brain as a command. For example, one of the ways that I was able to program myself was being okay with the time that I had. My old belief was that I never had enough time to do the things that I wanted to do. So I created a power statement, have all the time that I need. This way, I created a narrative in my brain that I always had enough time, no matter what. 2,000 years ago, Virgil wrote in the epic poem, De Anade, Posun Kia Pose Ventur. Translated from Latin, it means, for they could conquer who they believe they can. Or to rephrase it, those who believe they could conquer, do. You've probably seen a motivational poster worded something like this. Whether you think you can or you think you can't, you're right. It's time to listen to this timeless wisdom and believe that you could conquer. The power statements you're writing are a narrative about yourself. I always say that you're not your story. There's your chance to create your own story every single day. When you say your power statements, you're performing a type of self-hypnotherapy, sending neural signals into your brain and activating the system associated with processing the way that you see yourself. Then, of course, you light up those neurons when you act in accordance to those behaviors during the day. Power statements also activate the reward system for what is called future orientation. This is your capacity to imagine yourself in the future. Put another way, you're creating the higher version of yourself daily. Following are some tips of writing your power statements. Keep them short and simple. Use the present tense, not the future tense. Use the word I or me in the power statement. If a negative belief is constantly going through your brain during the day, use it as an inspiration to write a power statement that conquers it. Do not use the words try or I will. Instead, say I am or I do. 
Instead of saying, I will try to increase my business every day, say, I am increasing my business every day. Instead of saying, I will wake up early every day, say, I am waking up early every day to execute at my fullest. Here are some basic samples to get you started. I am certain and clear of what I need to do to get closer to my ultimate image. I am focused and determined to do whatever it takes to succeed. I'm getting stronger and healthier every day, and my body knows exactly what to do to heal itself. Every day I'm getting 1% better, 1% faster, 1% stronger, and nothing will get in my way of my outcomes. Every day I'm getting 1% better, 1% faster, and 1% stronger, and nothing will get in the way of my outcomes. I am guided, and I know that life is giving me what I need to grow every day. I am ready to live my full potential and fulfill my purpose today. Wealth, abundance, and clarity flow through me. I bring joy, happiness, and purpose to everyone around me. Every challenge and adversity that I face makes me stronger and helps me go to the next level. I have all the time that I need, and I enjoy every minute of my life. Money is an exchange of value, and I always bring more value to the market than anyone else. I'm attracting people who are helping me tap into my full potential. Now that your brain is listening to an embedded command through NLP, we use physical exercise to cement that command even deeper. I recommend you start with push-ups because it's a compound exercise that requires no equipment and it's easy to start. You don't need fancy equipment. All you need is a clean floor. They're a compound exercise, meaning they work several muscle groups at once. They not only work your triceps and chest, but also your core and lower body to stabilize yourself as you do them. You also strengthen your heart as it pumps blood into your muscles. And as you work larger muscle groups, your body releases HGH, human growth hormone. Doing this exercise can counteract bad posture from sitting all day, staff bone loss, and prevent injuries. The positive effects of push-ups on the brain are a little less well-known, but they are real, and they're amazing. Dr. Majid Fatuhi, Harvard, and John Hopkins trained neurologists and neuroscientists says that push-ups are the best exercise for the brain, particularly to prevent the onset of Alzheimer's disease. When you do push-ups, you're sending blood to your brain as well as your muscles. This helps your brain function and memory. Physical activity in general increases the number of synapses, boosts production of neurotransmitters, helps form new blood cells, increases your brain plasticity, and of course, counters the effects of stress. In the short term, exercise increases cognitive abilities for a period of about two hours. In the long term, exercise increases levels of protein called brain-derivated neurotrophic factor, which aids in learning and memory. The brain is designed to recognize patterns. As you build the neural pathways by doing the power statements, you're associating them with the positive effects of the workout. You're not only associating the statements with the endorphin rush of exercise, but also with the memory-boosting power of push-ups. In a way, you're literally pushing positively right into your brain. And I would be remiss if I left out that you're doing something that is both hard and rewarding. Even though I've done my ritual using push-ups for years, some of my clients can do or don't like doing push-ups. So they do squats, use a punching bag, run, or bicycle. Anything that could change your physiology will anchor the power statement deeper. The key here is to move your ass daily and keep on moving. Part three, fear. Here's something strange but absolutely true about the human brain. Your brain doesn't understand the difference between reality and fiction. Your imagination can induce physical reactions when you think about what you're afraid of, whether it's heights, wild animals, or failures. 
Your brain sends a signal to your body as if it was actually happening and your body feels the stress. When it comes to fear, you probably know that the only way to overcome fear is to face it. But you may not know that you could face your fear in large part just by thinking about it until you overcome it. There was a study conducted in 2019 at the University of Colorado Boulder and Icon School of Medicine about fear. Subjects were given a mild electric shock and they divided into three groups. One group heard the sound of the shocking machine again. The second was asked to imagine the sound. And the third was asked to think about pleasant sounds, like birds chippering. None of the subjects were actually shocked the second time. After some time, all three groups were exposed to the sound of the machine that shocked them. Again, they were not actually shocked the second time. The first two groups, who either really heard or imagined the sound, were scared. But the third group, who didn't think about the sound, was not. The point is that sometimes we are afraid of what we think could happen, when most of the time, what we are afraid of is not really happening. Unless you're actively running from a bear, you're probably paralyzed by merely thinking of all the things that could go wrong. As FDR said, the only thing we have to fear is fear itself. By visualizing the fear from the ritual, you're facing it from a position of strength. While you're doing the ritual, you are the strongest, you're most confident, and the most connected. You're ready to push your biggest obstacle, yourself, out of the way. To do this, you should be opening and closing your hands to increase blood flow. You should be moving your hands quickly without tensing up your muscles. By doing these movements, you're expanding your blood vessels, which will train your body to be able to keep those blood vessels open when your body is being stressed. When you're afraid, your pulse will quicken and you may get sweaty palms or cold feet. Resist the urge to fight against or hide from it. Feel your panic. Be scared. But notice how nothing bad has actually happened. The fear is in your mind. What happens when you panic? You know that feeling when you drive a little too fast around a turn? You take a quick breath of air. Sometimes you make a sound. Your muscles tighten. Your stomach clenches. Time dilates. The brain filters out all strenuous stimuli. The scientific word for this is psychosyca. And it's thought to be related to the release of high levels of dopamine and neuropronephrine during extreme stress. This is what you're forcing yourself to do during this portion of the ritual. Facing fear is a skill. Experiencing the feelings of those chemicals in your brain and body is sometimes new and unfamiliar to many people. Most people stay in their comfort zone. That is why it's called comfort zone. After all, you're deliberately making yourself experience these feelings of panic. So when you experience them in the daily life, they won't overwhelm you. If you're familiar with the mixed martial arts, you might know of the Japanese promotion Pride Fight Championships. In the early days, a number of Japanese pro wrestlers made the transition from show fighting to real fighting. And there was a strange phenomenon when they faced legit fighters. The legit fighters knew how to fight but had to overcome the fear of being in front of 70,000 people. At the same time, the pro wrestlers had already overcome the fear of a large audience but had to face a new fear of an opponent who wanted to actively hurt them. I bring this bit of trivia up so you can understand that the feelings of fear and the feelings of the things that make you afraid are not the same thing. This is what it means to be comfortable in uncomfortable situations. I'm going to return to the science of breathing. When you're doing this exercise, you're going to be breathing differently than meditating breathing. In most breathing exercises, you're taught to breathe slowly. The fear part of the ritual involves Winhof style breathing. Winhof is the name of the Winhof is the name of the Dutch fitness guru who holds multiple records of enduring cold earning him the nickname, the Iceman. 
He pioneered a breathing exercise where you intentionally hyperventilate and hold your breath. It is a variation of yoga breathing, pranayama, called breath of fire. When you breathe in and out quickly for 30 breaths, you exhale a lot of carbon dioxide and inhale a lot of oxygen, which lowers your carbon dioxide concentration. In turn, it increases your pH and your blood to be less acidic and more alkaline. Carbon dioxide in your bloodstream is not just a waste product. Carbon dioxide expands your blood vessels to deliver more oxygen to your body. When you have less carbon dioxide, your blood vessels are temporally smaller. Just like when you work your heart with cardio exercises, your resting heart rate will eventually go down. Your blood vessels will be better able to expand and contract when you do this exercise regularly. By opening and closing your hands, you will keep more flow going to your extremities. The second part is when you hold your breath for 20 seconds. Carbon dioxide builds in your lungs, triggering the gasp response. Your body is going to be spiked with adrenaline and cortisol. Your white blood cells are going to produce fewer inflammatory proteins. You're purposely putting your body in fight and flight mode. You're putting stress on your body and brain to adapt to that stress the same way you lift something heavy to adapt your muscles. This can be very dangerous if you overdo it because your brain is actually getting less oxygen because of the less hyperventilation and breath retention. You may even start feeling lightheaded or tingling in your body. But remember, you can stop anytime. You are in control. If you feel that you must slow down or stop, then do so and build up over time. As I said before, you're not competing with anyone by yourself. While you're doing this, think about all the... F- While you're doing this, think about what you fear the most. For many people, it's the fear of failure, fear of not being enough, fear of not having enough. For me, when I tap into the stage of the ritual, I tap into the fear of something happening to my family. I imagine something happening to my wife and kids, and what would happen if I didn't have them by my side? No matter what... No matter what happens throughout the day, nothing will be as bad as what I'm imagining at this moment. This creates enough contrast in my mind to overcome any challenge that I'm facing, whether it's in my business or my personal life. No matter what I face throughout the day, nothing will be as bad as what I'm imagining at this moment. This creates enough contrast in my mind for me to overcome any challenge that I'm facing, whether it's in my business or my personal life. When I realize that fear is just an illusion in my head, It gives me the certainty to overcome any other challenge because I've already faced my worst fear. We end with a big side. Even the humble side is important to your body's well-being. Your lungs have about 480 million alveoli, which expands to absorb oxygen, then shrink to expel carbon dioxide. They have a natural tendency to collapse and need to be reopened through sight or a deep breath every five minutes or so. Think of it like a rubber balloon that stretches when you fill it up and it stays a little stretched out when you empty it out. When you sight, you fully inflate this alveoli with twice as much air as your regular breath. By ending with a big sight, you reset your lungs. Step four, vision and surrender. Visualizing is very common in meditation. What makes the ritual different is the three steps that precede it. In the first step, gratitude, your brain releases dopamine and you hold yourself in a relaxed alpha state. In the second, the power session, the physical activity releases HGH and endorphins while activating your ventral medical prefrontal cortex. And the third, fear, the hyperventilation and breath holding supercharges your brain for visualizing by stimulating the pineal gland. This is the process I'm going to focus on now. The pineal gland, also called the coronarium or the epiphysis cerebri, is a tiny indoctrinate gland in the brain nestled deep inside the middle of your brain 
behind your eyes, and at the top of your spinal cord. Nearly every culture has given it marked significance. The symbol of the Eye of Ra, the symbol of the Eye of Ra in ancient Egypt is the same shape of the pineal gland, pituary, and corpus callosum region. Buddhists, Taoists, Hindus, and religious all around the world have a special name for it and it shows its health in high regard. Rene Descartes has called it the seat of the rational soul. Regardless of your religious beliefs, the pineal gland produces DMT, dimethyltryptamine, a powerful psychedelic while you sleep. Until recently, it was thought that the only way to get DMT was to consume in a form of psychedelics like LSD, ayahuasca, or mushrooms. Whether or not a human brain can produce DMT in an awakened state was, and still is, a subject of much scientific scrutiny. Studies dating back to the 1960s shows that rat brains produce an enzyme called indole-N-methyltransferase, INMT, which is capable of producing DMT when the rat consumes the molecule tryptamine found in many plants and animals. In the 1970s, Dr. Stanislav Grof changed his focus from studying LSD users to studying near-death experiences and began testing to see if it's possible to induce psychedelic experiences with only breath techniques. Dr. Grof brought what is called holotropic breathwork, sometimes it's also called DMT breathing, from the shamans to the science books. It took decades of research to confirm that the mammalian pineal gland has the capacity to produce DMT, and it's only in the past few decades that we have confirmed that humans can produce it and have mystical experiences while awake without using drugs. With home breathing, we just did in step three, can activate the pineal gland. Keep in mind that your brain releasing DMT is not the same as being lightheaded from holding your breath. The combination of hyperventilating and breath retention lowers the concentration of carbon dioxide in your blood and then puts pressure on the vagus nerve, which is the nerve at the top of your spine that connects the brain to the rest of your body. This hacks your brain into producing DMT. When in this state, if you're looking at EGG readout, the slow-moving delta and theta brainwaves patterns will be similar to a drug-induced altered state of consciousness. What's more, when subjects who were studied in breathwork-induced strands were dealing with emotional experiences, in particular past memories, their brain EGG pattern changed to show a slow burst of higher voltage activity related to the emotional intense subjective experiences that they were having. After doing the previous three steps of the ritual, your brain is flooded with a chemical cocktail that primes your experience of visualization to an entirely new level. When you visualize, you give yourself the permission to let go of all expectations. Time may feel like it's passing very slow. You may see vivid colors even though your eyes are closed. You may have the feeling of an out-of-body experience. Some emotions may rise to the surface. They can be good or bad feelings, but it's important to feel them with a sense of openness. Many of my clients have had life-changing experiences during this ritual. Some of my clients who believe in God compare it to a religious experience. Some who are not religious feel guided and connected to their own inner voice. Regardless of where your brain goes in this experience, this process will take you deeper inside of yourself than you ever thought possible. But before you get excited, remember that getting your brain into the state of consciousness takes practice, patience, and discipline. It won't happen right away or every time. The best advice I could give you is to let go of any attachment at the beginning of this process and set the intention to feel connected and guided. Use this last step to surrender to any attachment or any feeling that you need to let go that's holding you back. Open yourself up to receive what God and the universe have in store for you.
one of the mantras that I have learned that helps me in this last part of the ritual is to repeat this to myself. I let go of the attachment of my limited mind and I allow God's love and infinite intelligence of the universe to flow through me. I take a deep breath and repeat this three times as I feel the emotions rise into the surface. This exercise will give you one of the most powerful and deep experiences in your life. I've been practicing this for years and the secret is the compound effect that you get from doing this on a daily basis. Don't be discouraged if you don't have a deep experience at the beginning. Most people's brains are so full of noise that little by little we need to condition our minds to quiet the noise so we can experience a deep level of connection. Now that you have the science behind the ritual, now that you know the science behind the ritual, I hope that you realize that it's not just woo-woo. The different modalities of the ritual are thousands of years in the making, and the results are backed up by cutting-edge scientific research. But as Stephen Carlos says, by largely scales, personality doesn't. As you practice the ritual more, you will become more attuned to yourself and see what works for you. Don't be dogmatic. As you unlock your own code to the edge, customize your morning ritual to do what works best for you. One of the patterns that I've encountered in coaching high-performance individuals is that they're constantly hitting a wall and they lack the awareness of finding the patterns that push them until they crash. When a man finds himself constantly crashing and doesn't know why he's stumbling on the same wall over and over again, he goes into what is called the drift and becomes a drifter. This word was coined by Napoleon Hill in his book, Outward in the Devil. If you're going to go from a warrior to a king, you need to become a master of recognizing your own patterns and triggers before you fall into the drift in life. The next chapter, I'm going to give you the framework to help you recognize and escape the drift.